0: Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in in Benjamin join in it, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from the territory that belonged to the people of Israel, and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers." Thank you, Trudy, for reading, and I hope you'll keep your Bible open or on or whatever in Second Chronicles 34. Um, I am sure that there is a lot of ringing in that. My microphone, and there it went. Good. I'm sure that you have uh, a lot of relationships that matter to you, and I'm sure there are several that are important to you. And I don't know how many it is, but I, I would imagine in those relationships, some of the ones that deeply matter to you they have seasons where they're like really good seasons, and then there are seasons where there are tough seasons. And often even the relationships that matter the most to us have ups and downs. I think probably for many, if not most in the room, your relationship with God deeply matters to you. Yet even in our relationship with God, even in our relationship with the Lord, There are times where the relationship is really strong, and there are times when it feels distant. There are times where we are eager to do what God says. There are times where we're eager to hear what He has to say, eager to know more about Him. And there are times where we are moved by what God has done, like deep down, we're we're excited, we're, we're amazed at, at the actions that He's taken toward us. And there are times where we're grieved by what offends Him because we're so close to Him and, and we're tender toward the things that He says not to do. And there are times when our relationship is strong where we're drawn to confess our sins. And there are times where we desire to just talk about Him and what He's doing, and we want to talk about Him with all kinds of people because... He is doing something good in our heart. And there are times where we're really, really assured of His His mercy, and we're really, really assured of His grace toward us. So, there are seasons where we feel very, very close, but there are also seasons where actually it goes the other way. Our relationship with God is not where it should be. There are times where we are stubborn instead of sensitive to God. There are times where we are selfish instead of thinking about other people, times where spiritually we're not sensitive or dull, times where we choose to be rebellious, times where we lose focus, times where we dig in and say, I want to do this, I am going to do things my way, times where we doubt. And although we, we know the story of grace and God's love for us, we doubt whether He cares specifically for us. I'm not comfortable with my relationship with God when it goes to a distant place. I I don't ever want to be comfortable when it goes to a a distant place, but I'm just recognizing reality. No excuses here, but I am recognizing the reality that in our walk with the Lord, probably there are going to be times where there is distance, where there are distance, and we really actually need to be reawakened. That's kind of what I want to zero in on, is, is a spiritual awakening particularly, I mean, a spiritual awakening to our relationship with God. And what does it look like when that happens? This is where I find Second Chronicles 34, what uh, Trudy read a moment ago, and King Josiah, this ancient king of Israel. I find it extremely helpful to, to navigate what does it mean to have a spiritual awakening in our relationship with God? Because I see in the life of King Josiah, like, these milestones and these markers and these words that I think, even though he lived hundreds of years ago in a world very different than ours… I find so much uh, resonance and so much parallel. And I want you to see, I, I want you to see characteristics in Josiah's life. What I don't have to offer to you is a formula or a particular sequence that if you just follow this, add a little bit of this, do this, then this, and add this, then you are just going to be awakened to things of the Lord. I don't think it works like that in such a sequential way. But I do find in Josiah's life these pointers, these conditions, these signs that help draw our hearts to what it would look like when God gets a hold of us and starts moving. I'm, pray- I'm prayerful, like I've been praying all week that God might for a few of us, like, jumpstart our heart if it's been distant in our relationship with Him, that He might draw us closer I've been praying that God might, and this may not be a nice thing for a pastor to pray, but I've been praying that God might unsettle some of us, because if you've grown comfortable being away from Him, I think the best way I could pray for you is that that would be unsettling today, and that you would, you would run to Him, that you would draw near to God, and I'm, I promise you He will draw near to you. And maybe you're not sure you're ready to buy in totally to a deep walk with God, but I pray you'll have at least a picture or a vision of what it could look like if you were ever to take those steps toward God. So, when God begins to work, it does something, something. and it comes sometimes through an encounter where we hear God's Word, when we hear it taught, and sometimes that's combined with a life circumstance that's gotten hard and painful and confusing, and we're maybe a year ago we weren't ready to hear, but now we are. And maybe it comes with a friend who's walking alongside us and helpful, like helpful voice in our ear saying, this is what you need to think about. And maybe all those things mixed together bring us to the place. And the question is like, will we let God's Word teach us today? Will we have hearts ready to hear? And the life of Josiah helps me appreciate a few things. So, can I walk through those with you? It helps me appreciate that moments of spiritual awakening start with the heart. See, the life of Josiah and the story of Josiah, though he's an ancient king, lived a long time ago. It helps me appreciate that moments of spiritual awakening start with the heart, which does mean you and I can try to clean up our behavior we can think through all the external actions that we do that we really shouldn't do and we needed to work harder to try to get those out of our life we can try to try to pretend we can try to give to charity we can volunteer we can donate we can sign petitions we can have the right affiliations we can align ourselves with the right causes but But something more has to happen than just external things. It always, moments of spiritual awakening always start with the heart. And I want us to just watch Josiah. And I am going to, I don't know if it's apologized, but I am just going to recognize that we're going to look at several verses. Because I want us to go up a little bit and maybe at a 10,000 foot look at this place and this place and this place of Josiah's heart. And I want you to see it actually all throughout 2 Chronicles 34. So, we are going to be looking at several places, and most of those will be on the screen as we we read through today. But notice what it says about the heart work going on in Josiah in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 34. In verse 2 it says, "'Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father, And He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So, Proverbs 3 talks about like, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. And that's the picture here. You're walking on the straight path that the Lord is laying out, not swerving to the right or the left. And then it says this in verse 3, for in the eighth year of His reign, while He was yet a boy, which I think of all the young lives, and we've seen that this morning. If you were in family time, you saw all the young lives, while He was yet a boy, Josiah began, I love that word began, he didn't arrive, he began to seek the the God of David, his father. And I think, and that is my prayer for all the young lives at Ogletown Baptist Church, they would begin to seek God, and that would go a lifelong of following him. This is the start, like he began, something is going on in his heart and he's seeking the Lord. The chapter goes on to tell us the actions that followed. It started with his heart, but it tells us that he has a heart to repair the temple, to restore the temple, because it was in all sorts of disrepair, it had fallen apart, and he has this heart to restore the temple, and so he leads this massive effort to restore the temple. And as they're restoring the temple, kind of cleaning things up, they find the book of the law. That's what 2 Chronicles 34 tells us, they find the book of the law which is probably some part of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible that we have. And Josiah is very eager to hear what is said in that book. Let's read it. Let's hear what is said in that book. And actually, the part that is read is a part of judgment And so, Josiah hears words of judgment from the book of Deuteronomy that you as a nation aren't supposed to live this way, and if you do, then you're going to face God's judgment. He hears that, and how's he going to respond? Because actually, 2 Chronicles is filled with people. The book is filled with kings that hear from God and say, no thanks, I'm not interested in responding. A prophet comes and they like turn the volume down. But notice what it says, Josiah does in verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law he tore his clothes. It was a sign of repentance like a a mourning. The king commanded other people are going to get involved in this, Hilkiah and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan and Abdon the son of Micah and Shaphan the secretary and Asaiah the king's servant. And he says, this is what I want you to do. You need to go inquire the Lord for me. And you need to find out for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found... Because if what I'm hearing is right, great is the wrath of the Lord that's poured out on us because our fathers haven't kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Josiah even digs deeper and says, we've heard from God, but we need to know what God is going to do right now. We're hearing the the pronouncements of judgment, but we need to know what does God require of us right now? What can we do? And they go and they find a prophetess that will have a word from the Lord for that very moment. You can read in 2 Chronicles 34, her name is Huldah. And she says this to the king. I mean, she does have a word of judgment. But Huldah has a a specific word for Josiah and says in verse 26 of that chapter, But to Josiah, the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire the Lord, this is what I want you to say to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. I don't know if you underline or mark your Bible or highlight something. Verse 27, because your heart was tender, because you humbled yourself before God when you heard His words against this place and its inhabitants, because you've humbled yourself before me, because you've torn your clothes and you've wept before me, I also have heard you declares the Lord, I wonder, I just have to hear through Josiah's ears like, I have heard you. I care about you. It says in verse 31, even later, and the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord. This king who has a tender heart, who doesn't think, you know what, I'm above the system. I'm above God. He doesn't think that. He humbles himself under the mighty hand of God. And He makes a covenant to walk after the Lord, to keep His commandments, His testimonies, His statutes with all His heart and all His soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And I don't know where this text meets you at this stage in life, but I do know God's, God's work of spiritual awakening starts with the heart Starts with the heart. There's a series of intentional decisions to seek God. It's, it's when you're tender when confronted with sin. And, and you may be 16 years old, just like Josiah when it said God began, he began to seek God. And it may be, or you might be 76 years old. And it will always start with the heart. Is it tender toward the things of the Lord when God points out what is not right? Are you tender to respond and say, Lord, have mercy? Are you eager to hear God's Word? What does it mean for us? Are you aware that as judgment comes, God also shows so much mercy, extends mercy to thousands of generations? All these verses remind us there's a starting point because because we love because He loved us first. I think of what God requires us, what God wants of us. I think of the most powerful CEO with, let's say, thousands of employees who basically just treats those employees as pawns and all all he or she wants is just them to make him or her more money. And I think of God who holds everything in his hand and this is what he wants from you. Think about the grace involved. This is what he wants. He wants your heart. That's what He wants. You're not a pawn in this plan. He wants you. He wants your trust. He wants your dependence. He wants your allegiance. He wants you. He's pursuing you. He's wanting your heart to not play games, but to be devoted to Him. God wants you. And when God does heart work, when God begins to humble us we begin to we begin to recognize i need to change and we we don't recite the motto the creed that our world tells us we should recite and that is like i'm enough i can handle it we actually have a new motto it's like i'm not enough i need you i need you every hour i need you we recognize how dependent we are on the lord and we turn to him because god's work starts in the heart we see patterns that are We're tired of excusing them as if like, well, genetics or the way I was, that's just the way I am. We're we're tired of that. We realize that's unsatisfying. We want God to change us. And so we go to Him saying, Lord, you see this mess I've made. You see this person I am that I don't want to be. So change me. God's Word points out that tender heart, that moment of responsiveness, or, or frankly, we can get all stubborn and say, not now. I'll do God on my own terms, which, no, you won't. You never will. You can't do it that way. Not with the one who made it all. So, are we going to submit to Him and be responsive to Him, however He's working? And I mean, there's hundreds of people in the room, so God could be working in hundreds of different ways. I don't know exactly how it is, but I I do know you want a tender heart before the Lord. That is what you deeply, deeply need. That's what we deeply want. The life of Josiah helps me appreciate when God begins to awaken us. We've gone through a season where things are dull, where we don't have the affection and the devotion, we don't have the discipline, we don't have the drive to to follow God. We go through that season, moments of spiritual awakening come when when it starts with the heart. But Josiah shows us another, another thing, and that is that when God works on the heart, it is also costly and thorough. Moments of spiritual awakening are costly and thorough. I see that in Josiah, and again, I don't have time to pick apart every single verse, but you see at the beginning of the chapter, you see it in at least a couple of ways where the work in Josiah's life was costly and thorough. I see it when Josiah moves, and you can read this in the beginning verses, like 3 to about verse 11 or so, he is... Clearing out the idols from all of the country. And actually, I, I underlined and, and kind of noted several of the verbs in verses 3 to 7. So, let me read those for you. It tells us that he purged, chopped down, cut down, broken pieces, made dust, scattered, burned the bones, and cleansed. I mean, this is aggressive. This is costly work. Things that had been like statues and important things. He's demolishing, saying they're not going, we're not going to worship anything other than God, and we're not going to create statues because he's told us not to make statues and images of him. So we are going to worship him alone and everything else we're going to burn, dissolve, pulverize. We aren't going to have that anymore. That's costly and it's thorough because actually verses 6 and 7 say he goes on a road trip. So it's not enough just for Jerusalem and Judah. He goes through the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon and as far as Naphtali and, and there are ruins all around. And it says he goes throughout all the land of Israel on this road trip of destruction, of costly destruction, of idols that have crept in to take the place of worship of God. It's costly and it's thorough. It would require a huge commitment. I think of all the organization that he could have done, he could have, like he could have done a lot of things with his time, and it says this was a priority. Not only does he take down the idols, so almost negatively the idols come down, and positively he goes to the temple, and the work in the temple is costly and thorough as well. It's costly. I mean, even the Scripture says in chapter 34, he had to raise money. Generally, when you're the leader and you raise taxes, when you raise money, when you require contribution, that doesn't gain you a lot of popularity. This could have been costly, economically, politically. There are a lot of different ways this money could be spent, but he makes it a priority to say the temple is going to get repaired. And it's thorough. It involves all kinds of occupations. I I think I read priests, Levites, workmen, carpenters, builders, scribes, officials, gatekeepers. It's just giving us an, an idea that it wasn't just like pastors and church workers. Like it's going to be intensive, thorough across all the country. There's going to be this move to rebuild the house. I wonder if we recognize that moments of spiritual awakening quickly can get costly and thorough in our own lives. We should know that because Jesus does not bait and switch when he says, if you follow me, that will mean denying yourself, that will mean taking up your cross, that will mean forsaking all and following him only. I mean, we, we should not be surprised. He's told us that this is the cost involved. He's also told us that the work He will do in our lives means that if, there, if our eye causes us to sin, do you remember the words of Jesus? If our eye causes us to sin, or our hand causes us to sin, it would be better that we cut it off or, or gouge out our eye. I mean, this is costly, and it is thorough, the work that God wants to do in our heart to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, this could give us a vision of things that should not be there. I was thinking... And we've kind of moved past this stage in our house a little bit. But I think about going to uh, restaurants where you get kids' menus, right? And the kids' menus often have games and activities. These games and activities, there's the word search, and there's this sort of thing. And sometimes those activities have a drawing, and they have a drawing of all these things but then there are the things that don't belong in the picture. So you look at them and you're supposed to circle the things like, that doesn't belong, that doesn't belong, that doesn't belong. And I I wonder if Josiah gives us at least a little bit of a picture of things in Israel that did not belong. And I wonder if that helps us look in our own lives and we go, if we were to take this seriously, although it might be costly and thorough, I wonder if we looked at our lives and we saw attitudes With all the different attitudes that we had this week. I wonder if we would have to circle that doesn't belong. And I wonder if we looked at what we spent our time or what our internet history said, I wonder if we'd have to circle that that really doesn't belong. The harsh words we spoke to someone or about someone. The forgiveness that we have chosen like we're never going to grant. Does that really belong with someone who is a follower of Jesus. The vision of what you want to do with your life and what you feel entitled like, and we're looking at the picture of what God wants, does that really belong? Does that relationship that constantly drags you down, does that belong? I wonder, as I think of even the temple being repaired, I think of the things that actually do belong. Surely time spent with the Lord, surely time spent either listening or reading or meditating or chewing on His Word, time spent talking to to Him, even if it feels like, yeah, so you're talking about prayer, and I'm terrible at it. I don't don't even know what to say half the time, and I go, well, you know, God welcomes your clumsy prayers. He says, ask, seek, and knock. He doesn't say, get the words perfectly. And then, maybe just then, I'll be interested in hearing your prayers. So maybe you don't bring the best, like, best track record of praying really well, but don't you think, like, one of the things that would belong in the picture of spiritual awakening would be talking to Him more? Don't you think it also would involve being around other believers and in community where you have people pouring into your life and you're pouring into their lives, where you're not walking alone, but because, I mean, God has given you people to walk with you? Don't you think, like, in the picture? Some things don't belong, and some things 100% do belong. I don't think God's work… God's work isn't overnight in our lives. I mean, there's dramatic, sometimes like a dramatic uptick in our spiritual awareness. I, I realize that, but, all, but God's work is not overnight. It, it's, it's day by day by day committing to walk a path of change, even though you know there will be a cost. I was in a men's study this week, and I was I was talking about how we, how we came to Christ, we were sharing, and I was listening to how guys had come to faith in Christ, and I heard one of the guys talk about how his decision to follow Christ meant family relationships, they're not Christians, like that fundamentally changed, and it was hard. And I heard others that like when, when kind of they had a train wreck into the Lord, and needed to turn like, like life had to get rearranged and sometimes it was messy and not easy and not neat and not tidy. But, but here's the deal. As much of a cost as there will be, there's great reward. There's great reward. Because to a person, each of those men who've made a decision to follow Christ, each of those men could say, as hard as it might have been, as, as costly as it is to try to be a follower of Jesus, a man of God, it is well worth the cost of living in step with the one who bled for me. Like, it's, it's well worth the cost because there is no greater reward. Do you appreciate that? We got moments, moments of spiritual awakening, full disclosure, they are costly and they are thorough. The life of Josiah does help me appreciate one more thing. And that is, these moments of spiritual awakening also have a way of reinforcing our identity. By identity, I'm saying, like, this is who you are. Maybe even more than that, this is who you were made to be. Moments of spiritual awakening reinforce our identity. We don't have a ton of time to look at 2 Chronicles 35. It tells a progression from 34 to 35. So, again, it always starts with the heart, right? So, Josiah had a tender heart toward things of the Lord, walked in the ways, you know, didn't stray from the right to the left. There's kind of another progression where he finds the book of the law and he responds in obedience to that. Let's hear from the word of God and he responds to that. He makes a covenant. But by the time you get to chapter 35, and maybe you can even see by the heading in that chapter, it's Josiah keeping the Passover the Passover. If you know much about Israel's history, the Passover was kind of a reenactment of a very, very significant event in the history of Israel. And so, Josiah led his people to keep the Passover, to reenact this moment. So, they slaughter a Passover lamb. They they make sacrifices of animals and offerings are given. We don't stand in our sin. We, we have our sins atoned for. They feast, it tells us, the feast of unleavened bread. They feast in the presence of God. They do the Passover. They're reminded, He is our God. We are His people. And the Passover is an amazing thing. What, what I want you to appreciate, though, is the Passover wasn't just a national holiday. Actually, when you read the story of the Passover nothing made Israel remember who they were like the Passover. Nothing defined them. Nothing was like helped shape their identity like the Passover. Because every time they would remember and observe the Passover, what the, what the people of Israel, they were reenacting the story that this is where we were. We were slaves in Egypt and nothing could help. We could not get out of that slavery. And we put all our trust in God who would bring us out of slavery. And on the same night, on Passover night, God both judged and saved. He judged and He rescued. And He brought us out of slavery and we can feast because He has provided. And He brought us to a new land where we have lived a new life and we are forever His. We're for His glory. We're for His people. And there's something about the Passover where that's not just a holiday. That is saying something about we are His people. He has done this for us. And once again, their identity is they celebrate the Passover is reinforced. This is who we are. For Josiah, finding the book of the law was more than just like, oh, we have some ancient, some ancient wisdom here. We have something to put in a museum. This led him to remind the people, we once were this, but we no longer are because of our God. It was identity defining moments of spiritual awakening reset our identity as well, because our identity is is not in and of ourselves. Our identity is totally wrapped up in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and I'm grateful for seasons like Christmas. I mean, I, I do have to, like, take a deep breath when I hear, like, Christmas is all about hot chocolate and cookies and warmth and family and friends. I mean, I, I just, you know, compl- politely, yes, okay. But actually, Christmas is about what made peace, and that was the blood of King Jesus shed for us. What Christmas is about is that He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. Like, this is identity forming. So, here we have another Another set of days to remind ourselves, like, this is our identity. We need to be reminded of our identity because we buy into other stories that seem to really shape our identities. It's not hard for me to, I buy into a story that our culture will tell that if you achieve, get to this level of career, get into this school, get this sort of fellowship, get this sort of whatever, you will, you will have arrived, and yet Christmas says, that's not your identity. This story, we have a different identity than that story we have a different story than the one that says, you know what, you're never going to amount to anything unless you're part of the cool kids. And that starts when like you're in middle school, I guess. And then there's adult versions of that. And you always feel like I need to be a part of that group. And as long as I'm not a part of that group, I'm not sure I amount to anything. And there's a new identity written over us that, you know what acceptance really matters is that is you are accepted in Jesus Christ. That matters. That is your identity. We can buy into other stories, uh, a rags to riches, or everybody thought I was a loser, but I proved them all. I mean, we can buy into all these stories that seem to tell us something important about ourselves, and maybe they're helpful to a degree, but there will be no story that can shape your life like the identity-forming story of what Christ has done for us on the cross. I, I want to remind you, I just want to reinforce, so Josiah reinforced the The Passover and says, this is your identity, Israel. This is our identity. So, I know not everyone in the room would be a follower of Jesus, I'm guessing, but if you are, can I reinforce your identity for just a moment? Can I reinforce the identity of the story that matters above any other story you might tell yourself? Your story and your identity totally is wrapped up and totally begins with God a God who made this world, a God who made you, a God who made you to actually live in rule of this world, put you on this planet so that you might rule and give thanks to Him and honor Him. But there's a dark part to, to our story. There's a dark part to our identity, and we can trace that. It's not that hard to identify. We reject God as our ruler. We choose to run. Like when We chose, we made the choice to run our lives the way we want to run them, and that causes great damage to our relationship with God, certainly, but our also our relationship to each other, and also like totally malfunctions things inside, we have to deal with guilt and shame because we have just ruined everything possible. And God didn't and wouldn't let us just continue in that rebellion unchecked. So, our identity and our story. So, here's the story that matters, is that, yes, I deserve God's punishment for my rebellion, my sin, and that would be death, and judgment. I deserve that. But the part of my identity, the part of your identity you need to remember is that because of God's love, God sent His one and only Son, Jesus, into this world. The man, Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man, He lived perfectly. He always did what the Father wanted Him to do. He lived the life that we don't, we, we couldn't live. He died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins, and He's alive. He rose from the dead even after death, and He's the ruler, He's the judge of the world. And that, that puts us at a crossroad, and it is an identity forming crossroads. I mean, if you're in Christ, you came to the crossroads one day where you said, I. I could live all about myself, and I could, like, keep trying to rule the world, which doesn't go very well, and rebel against God, which goes horribly, or I can submit to God's rule, place my life in His hands. I can trust in Him. I can be forgiven by Him. I can receive a new life that lasts forever. And the moment you place that faith in Him is the moment you recognize your identity is always going to to be bound up in your Redeemer, your King, your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that will matter more than anything. When our body fails, that will still matter. When friends seem to, like, leave us, that will matter. When we're not sure what's going on with the next, next week, much less the next decade, there's a story over our life, and we have an identity, and our identity is we are in Jesus Christ forever. And I want you to hear that because we can look at Josiah and we can see these moments of spiritual awakening and God's going to stir in our heart. He's going to start there and it could get real costly. I mean, there, are, there are things, there are sacrifices we have to make in following Jesus, denying ourselves and taking up our cross. But I want you to also follow that path of Josiah and realize there is something identity forming as we once again recognize we are not our own but we've been bought with a price. Therefore, our lives can be lived for His glory. Our body, our soul can be lived for His glory forever and ever and ever, which is why I think it'll be totally appropriate for us to close our service in just a moment with singing, All glory, all glory be to Christ. I hope hope that is your identity, and if it's not, like this would be the day where you ask that next question, as hard as that may be, or as like, I don't want to be embarrassed, I don't, I don't know, I don't feel that religious, go ahead, let's ask, let's talk. If you're unsure that that is your identity, then I can't think of a better time to, to lean into that instead of to run from that. So maybe after the service we can talk, because all of life is meant to give glory to Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder from an ancient king his world seems very different than mine, and yet you never change, Father. We're grateful that your son is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, I pray that we would be reminded of our identity, and that really would shape tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. That might really shape our neighborhoods and our homes. That might really shape what we, what we joke about, what we talk about, how we spend our money. It would really shape who we are, the identity-forming grace of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in His name. Amen.